What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Monday, the 4th of July, 2022, and this week's episode, the mixed bag of UFC 276. We'll be discussing, obviously, UFC 276, the latest in MMA news, one of the most popular fighters on social media is joining the WWE, and we'll actually just cap it off right there at talking about UFC Vegas 58 and the Battle of the Huffaels in Vegas. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Double G, happy 4th of July. Glad you made it back from Vegas in one piece. And uh, what, what, uh, what can you tell us about Radio Row? That's what I'm, I'm very curious about. Thank you, Natalie Z. Uh, you know what? Radio Row was such an interesting experience because it was, I'm not going to lie, the, the amount of media I saw there, I really thought it was going to be run like a Super Bowl Radio Row, which is like, okay, they have like just rows and rows of tables and then athletes just literally go, you know, Table one, table two, table three, table four, table five, and yeah. it's just like a car wash. And it was not like that at all. It was actually like a cross between the old media day, which I loved, and a bit of a traditional radio row in that the fighters would just bounce who's open, who's ready, and you know, you had to wait for some of the big dogs to get theirs, which was a little, you know, if you're ready to go and you're you know you gotta wait for other people that's always a little stressful but yeah for the most part it was so much fun i enjoyed it um you don't get to actually like like i'm in the middle of the convention but i'm not actually doing anything uh-huh. so, you know so like i, I i'm aware i see all the lines i see people excited i see games like to the right of us i guess it was like a sponsor but it was like a a zombie survival van not that it was a van made to survive the apocalypse, but like it was like an interactive zombie experience. Okay. Yes, it's hard to describe, but if you see with your own eyes, I don't know another way to put it. So it was, they had so much little stuff. and um, But yeah, I got to just kind of be in the heart of it and have the, you know, it's the coolest part. The fighters come through to talk to you and everyone's excited that they're around. So you feel that energy. So it was good. All right, man. That's awesome. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so um, we'll talk all about it. Um, well, obviously, we have a lot to recap, but let's get it started with UFC 276. Um, obviously, got done on Saturday. The main event, UFC middleweight champion Israel Adesanya defeats Jared Cannonier. And I feel like for context, you got to understand that it was quite the mixed bag, which is the title of the show, leading up to the main event. So we've had events like Jacksonville last year and msg last year and it's like you got this loaded card and it's like the balloons just start popping and it just goes (laughs) off and the momentum is just so wild and it's so good saturday was not like that as we entered the main event so i think that a lot of the energy got funneled and i think the fact that the night played out the way it played out actually led to the reaction in a way but let's talk about it israel adesanya five rounds i think the biggest thing is that while I, i feel like jared for example, provided a bigger threat than, say, Marvin Vittori did in a five-round effort. I felt like Jared was still looking for his moments to really surge forward and actually felt he his cardio looked fine and he looked strong even in the fifth round. Like, I felt like he could still hurt Izzy if he got to him. Uh, the fact is, Adesanya picked his spots. Um, every time that Jared 
kind of sat down on his feet, kind of like just stood in front of him. The kicks were coming for Adesanya. Um, just stick and move, just like what we've come to expect. He's precise. He doesn't stay there for a brawl in the pocket. It's all about um, letting it whip from the outside with that range and speed and timing and accuracy of his. And it was just lather, rinse, repeat for five you know, not five minutes, but five rounds. And I thought that Jared, I, I don't know, it, it just felt like Jared really couldn't figure out how to catch up to Adesanya throughout the night. And that's all she wrote. What were your thoughts? Exactly that. Jared Kenner just couldn't. It's one thing to watch film, but it was one of those situations where when you get in there against Israel Adesanya, um, you're like, oh, geez, okay. <laughs> you know, all my plans are kind of taking a lot longer than I anticipated to execute. And Adesanya did a beautiful job of using his jab and his movement, his, his signature movement, footwork, everything to be evasive, elusive. I mean, he was... You know, classic Adesanya as far as defensive movement goes. And he did his best with the jab and the leg kicks. Those were pretty much the punches that landed the most or the strikes that landed the most for him. You know, he, in the post-fight interview with Megan O'Leary and in the post-fight press conference, tells us that he was flat. You know, it just, just wasn't popping the way he wanted to. But he could still get the victory done because... I think what he means by popping is, you know, being able to hurt out of Cannoneer and to maybe get close to finishing him or finishing him. Didn't have anything uh, on the power side to, to put Cannoneer away, but was able to just stay out of reach and only move in when it was time for his offense. So it was a really nice performance by Adesanya. You know, I, like you said, like you set this up at the beginning, there was kind of strange reactions after the fight. You know, I saw a lot of people referring to it as a snooze fest and, you know, lackluster. I, I wouldn't say that at all. It's just that um, I think when you look at someone like Cannonier, you look at his highlights, you look at his physique, you look at how he presents himself, he just looks like a serious dude who's going to come in to murder. And he wasn't able to do anything close to that. And so from that perspective, I think it was a little bit underwhelming. But all in all, it was a fine fight. I had really no issues with it. Adesanya did what he had to do. I think Cannonier learned a lot. I don't think it diminishes him in any way. You know, he'll have to fight a couple more fights to get back out up there to the top. But he's still in the in the like five person mix. I think of of a championship. For sure, I, I completely agree with that. I think that, look, we, we've come to see this from Adesanya. He does what he needs to to win. Now, he's very good and he's very fun to watch if you appreciate his level of striking. But let's just say it bluntly. When fighters, for example, like a Yoel Romero and like Jared did on Saturday, take that conservative approach with Adesanya, he's not exactly going out there to push the issue. He's staying out there, picking his spots, looking for them, but if they don't materialize, just stay on them, keep doing your thing, win this fight. Now, when you have someone like a Paulo Costa or, for example, Robert Whitaker in February, they try to get aggressive, they're trying to make something happen, it does force Adesanya to fight, quote-unquote, more exciting because, for one, if you don't knock him out, well, you need to make sure you're getting fist-to-face -face more than the other guy. I think we saw that in Whitaker. Adesanya raised his output because he knew that Whitaker was coming at him with high numbers. Um, Paulo Costa, less effective, obviously, than Whitaker, but because he was trying to go out there and he left openings, 
Adesanya was able to take the fight to him, be a little more, um, you know, just provide a little more of that action by the nature of the fact that you need to win the rounds. And of course, he saw the opening and he finished Paolo. But I think that's a credit to him. Once again, the name of the game is to hit them and not get hit. If you could put them down, that helps your highlights and it also makes it a lot easier on your body. You take less damage. The threat is obviously neutralized early rather than going to decision. But I think we've come to see the way Adesanya fights and I don't think you should be surprised that he did not quote-unquote try to do more to try to finish Cannoneer when what he was doing was already working and Cannoneer couldn't provide, you know, it was on Cannoneer to make the changes, and he wasn't yeah. able to simply on Saturday. Yeah. Anyway, um, we will break down uh, the Strickland Vitor sorry Strickland Pereira fight in a minute, but it's very clear Alex Pereira should be the next man up. I don't see another middleweight. You have Vittorian Whitaker fighting. Um, oh my gosh, I believe the August pay per view, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. under Usman and Leon. Um, but the fact is, Adesanya's beaten them both twice. Pereira is officially next man up just by process of elimination now. What about you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, he fought, I think, two unranked opponents before before Sean Strickland. But it doesn't matter for two reasons, right? The history with Adesanya from kickboxing and the performance that he had uh, on Saturday. So, for those two reasons, and Adesanya even calls him out in the cage, like it all just wrote itself out. It's an easy match to make for the UFC. I, I would say there's no questions there. That's the next fight everyone wants to see. And uh, you know Pereira wants it, and Adesanya said he was up for it. So, I also got to say uh, I appreciate the way that – I appreciate that Pereira is not going out of his way to talk more. Um, I'm aware, you know, uh, I'm sure he's still learning English and everything like that. I'm not saying that he's not working on it. However, he's a man of few words, even in Portuguese. Mm-hmm. And it makes him, I think, more enigmatic, which makes him more fun compared to the brash Adesanya and everything we saw. Uh, everything we saw fight week and everything we were used to seeing on social media and the Internet with him talking. So I think it makes him more fun. Also, stylistically, he just moves in a way... He's not looking to grapple, neither you know, is Adesanya. And when you have two strikers like that, it can make for a very interesting fight to watch in the cage. So I, I think that visually it'll be different. I think that stylistically it's different. You talked about that angle already of their history in kickboxing. Um, altogether makes for a very intriguing fight. And so I, I, I like it in that way. But once again, also... I felt like Pereira got it, and we'll talk about it. Well, he had a great matchup in Strickland. Adesanya would be different. I'm not saying he can't win, but Adesanya is not Sean Strickland. It's He could catch Adesanya, but I will put the house that it does not look as easy as he made it look on Saturday. Oh, yeah, so, for sure. Uh, for both guys, by the way. <sighs> but before we talk about Pereira-Strickland... Got to talk about Volk. The best was blessed, but the be- the blessed one is just Alexander Volkanovsky. He <laughs> took it to Max in ways we have not seen since, I'd argue, Poirier of 55, since Conor McGregor 2014-ish, I believe it was, 
almost 10 years ago. Um, I'm not even going to go round by round. I think the first round, Max was looking to push the pace. What I saw was that in the second round onward, every time Max left that left hand out there, like he was trying to John Jones him a little bit, keep mm -hmm. the hands out and kind of make him get him to the fence. And then he kind of does his thing, tries to unload combinations. Every time he left that left hand low, Volk was cracking him with the right hand. Every time he kind of stopped and tried to make a read, Volk was, you know, kicking the legs. Volk had the high output. Volk had the shot selection and the accuracy. And Max just, Max just couldn't get to Volk. And it just felt like those adjustments and everything. He fought him like a warrior, but the fact was that it just was a... a Volkanovski handled Max Holloway better than anyone we've ever seen at 55 sorry 45 since max has gone to that level and he put i know people wanted a finish i think I, I a lot of people were like let's just make it definitive let's end the talk volk ended the talk i'm here for it i got nothing more to say he ended the talk for sure i mean three and oh and no controversy here this was a clear unanimous one-sided victory he just neutralized Max Holloway. We've never seen a performance like that from Max. And this is coming off of, you know, the, the beatdown he put on Kelvin Cater, the war he had with Yair Rodriguez, and this just didn't look like the same Max. Now, is it that Volkanovski is so good or that Max was having an off day, a combination of both? I don't know. But as far as this, you know, matchup goes, we don't need to see any more, obviously. 3-0 and for Volkanovski. He put on a showcase, really, really showed how, how talented he is in every department. And, and you know, the, the, the footwork is just so excellent. He can just move around, in and out. And he has, even though he's shorter, he has long arms. And the reach is, I think, what is a difference maker for him. And it just, Max, you know, he just didn't look like the same fighter he didn't move the same way we're used to him seeing him move. And so I don't know if that was the game plan or just, you know, again, an off night or what. But nonetheless, this is over. So Max Holloway, the thing I think about for him is you've done everything at 145 except be Volkanovski. But, okay, obviously Volkanovski is just the next level. And does Max really want to go back to fighting, to rematching, you know, the likes of Ortega or Rodriguez or anybody else that he's already beat soundly um what's next for him i don't know 155 the one attempt he made dustin poirier handled him pretty well but you know max probably didn't take much time to build up his body and so i'm not saying he should retire but i think if i'm max i'm really asking myself hard questions right now about you know is there any value in sticking up to stick staying at 145 for volkanovsky He's been pretty clear about what he wants to do. So um, I'll toss it back to you uh, to, to dig into that a little bit more because I'm excited for that prospect of a 155 move. I mean, the thing about Max is that, um, you know, if he moves up and Volkanovski is still there, I mean, <laughs> well, yes, they, they let's, have to let's say like it is, <laughs> that, that would just be like, well, really, what are we doing then, Max? But um, yeah, uh, moving on with that. There's fights for Max. I think he's got a... If it's 55, I think that he's taken the rest of this year and yep. some change next year in the, the early part to bulk up. I don't want to see him, hey, 
uh come november 155 let's just uh, in true max fashion let's go baby no <laughs> i don't want that take the time if that's really what you want to do let's acknowledge the fact that while it's a new tank of sharks the one that you i don't want to say avoided but the one that you that has kind of uh initiated this move could be jumping in the tank with you and it's like well what are you going to do He's still the second best featherweight in the world, by far. So, like I said, there's still a couple fights out there, but uh, even then, like, for example, I think of that and I just think of my statement and I'm like, he's fought Brian, Calvin, Yair, um, Alex. He hasn't fought Zombie or Giga, but those could be fights. But, you know, Josh Emmett, obviously, which we'll talk about, but... Yeah, it, it does become a wait and see, and you got to really rethink things if you're Max about what do you think would be the best move for Volk. Uh, okay, 155, uh, it, you tell me tomorrow he's fighting Charles in Abu Dhabi or he's fighting Charles at MSG, the December card. All right, let's get it. Uh, it's a great fight. I think it's a great test of the skills of both men and where they're at right now. That being said... I think that it really comes down to what what is everyone's schedule and what are the UFC's plans. I've been saying it. I will stand by this. The fight to make is still Charles versus Mahachev. Because everything, the Habib connection and all that, I just think it would be bananas. The impression I'm getting is that Mahachev is trying to push for Abu Dhabi. He would love to get Charles in Abu Dhabi, but the fact is, Charles kind of doesn't need to go into you know the enemy territory i look mm -hmm. it, obviously it's not mahachev's not the champion but you kind of feel like mahachev in the middle east he kind of has that crowd when they fight i think that Oliveira's probably looking at msg or december and saying look if he wants it he's got to fight on mutual ground in u.s or something like that I'm not going to take it over to his house, even though I'm not champion, um, as he should. You know, I think everyone still treats Charles as the champion. And I think that I don't think it's out of the question for him to put his foot down a little bit there. I think that UFC knows he's the fight that people want to see be the champ. And if he's ready, it'll happen. Now, if UFC decides, you know what, we're just everyone's just on the same thing Oliveira's firm he's not fighting in Abu Dhabi Islam's firm he is fighting in Abu Dhabi Charles or no Charles then we could see a scenario where Mahachev for example gets paired with a Dariush or someone like that in which case the door is right there for Alex to move up and fight Charles don't hate it do I think we'd be losing out on a very very lucrative fight in Charles Islam Yes, I believe Charles Islam was my number one fight to make in 2022, if I'm not mistaken, outside of the return of John Jones. Um, it just has all these elements that make it so fun. But I acknowledge that the business and the timing could open the door for Alex. Now, if let's say they're like, you know what, Mahachev wants that title shot no matter where it is, we're doing Charles Islam, then I do think that Alex, if he doesn't want to wait, He's most likely going to fight a Josh Emmett. Um, there is a possibility that next week's Saturday, next Saturday's winner between Yair and Brian could get it if it is Yair who wins. But 
once again, it just becomes Alex would kind of get the next man up. Yair has the name value. Josh, I know we just spoke with your eye favorite. Josh is doing everything to kind of get the heat. It just he just doesn't have that smoke behind him. Um, Henry Cejudo's out there, but it looks like he's even resigned that he's got to get the 35 belt back before he gets 45. So, yeah, do I, I think it comes down to timing. We will know more if we will know more when Brian fights Ayer of what the landscape looks like, but that's just where we're at. I think that Alex has a case for 55. I just think the timing may be off. Yeah, I can. I see that. I, I agree with you on that. You know, you've laid out some pretty good scenarios there. I don't have anything to counter that. So, you know, Volk fighting Oliveira, if that happens to work out, hey, we're all there for it. Um, but yeah, just because of the storyline, Makachev and Oliveira works. But, you know, look, either option is a solid option. Would Volkanovski ever move up and not fight for the belt right away? I don't think so. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) Look, it's better for your legacy to add the numbers to the, add the rubies to that belt rather than just move up and take a showcase. Yeah. Also, uh, okay, not to count the chickens and not to get ahead of ourselves, but I trust uh, out of the, look, after Saturday night, whether he fights Ayer or Josh next, I'm, I think it's safe to say he'll be the heavy favorite to still be ready to move up next year, even if he takes one more fight at 45. Like, Volk will still be the champ. You might only have one shot at Charles Islam to get to cash in on that fight. Okay. So yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, uh, Sean Strickland, Alex Pereira. Did you get the impression that Sean was nervous? It, people have been dissecting this a little bit going into this one like nervous like walking uh, out and then in the cage no i didn't um but i guess i don't really know his body language that well when i think about other fighters where i can instantly tell something's up um i don't know him well enough so so i didn't read it that way um but is that sort of the the story people felt like sean's walkout it just looked like he might have you know, he, he kind of got caught up in his own talk a little bit and then he just, um, he forgot that he has to actually have something to present for Pereira if he's going to get this one. Yeah. I think you saw, uh, look, Sean needed to wrestle and we didn't really see him go for that when he needed it. So, um, Pereira, look, Pereira did what Pereira did, patient. Um, I think the physicality on him, I, I think, look, Sean... For being a former welterweight, he's actually pretty tall and pretty sturdy middleweight. And Pereira just looks so much stronger. It didn't really look oh, like yeah. he was in trouble. It just looked like he had to be patient. And the left hand, man. Oof. I mean, when you start to, you know, well, Henderson kind of had them both. But like, you know, it was he's like Conor McGregor with that left hand, you know, like when he hits, you know. I always remember that meme they used from like Game of Thrones, like one does not simply blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And for Connor, they'd be like, one does not simply take that left hand shot. And Pereira, <laughs> just one does not simply take that left hand and keep walking, you know? Um, look, um, we talked about it already. He, This is faster than Hamza Chimaev getting to the title. 
And part of that is process of elimination at middleweight compared to the deeper roster at welterweight. But the fact is, this guy is here, three fights in, and everyone is unanimously saying you're next for the belt. I think that's uh, pretty wild. What about you? It is it is wild. It's you know obviously great for Pereira and and it's great for the division. You know we love a good storyline, and and Sean Strickland just helped make it much better, right? Because of that press conference. Uh, somebody asked him a question about who was the best striker. I don't know <laughs> who started it all. Oh, who did? Who would do such a thing? <laughs> now I gotta ask you though, because obviously great question. Is that one that you already were thinking to ask, or is it one that came to you as you're watching other questions get asked and you're sort of just, you know, revising? So the thing I always remember about press conferences is two things. One, it is not the place for hard-hitting journalism. Yeah. With all the fans and all the noise, it's just not. And secondly, which leads to my second point, the press conference is there to create buzz for Saturday. Mm-hmm. And essentially, it's a 40-minute TV show that the UFC asks us to be a part of okay. um, for free, which I don't mind. I don't mind being on TV for free. You know, <laughs> I'm already there, right? Yeah. Working. So really, the, the thing I thought about is like, well, what's going to get me the most energized answer? And whether that be getting, you know, one of these guys to kind of, you know, like thump their chest and get a little loud about how excited they are to whoop some butt. That's sometimes it. Whether I feel like I can get them to organically address why they got beef, in which case the other guy tends to participate. That's something I think of. Um, Sean, a, a couple people threw some up at Sean, but I was like, well, I got like the low hanging fruit right there. I just yep. got to ask him something that'll get the others to talk. And then I was like, well, you know, and also I don't believe like don't disrespect one just for your clicks. I'm like, okay, let Sean, you know, I know he's going to say one and the other's going to respond. It doesn't (laughs) matter, you know, so it's like, Sean, you got, I know, I know it's Adesanya. I know it's Pereira. Sean, who's the best one? And of course, you know, like I didn't realize that the log I was throwing was Coked in, it's coated in gasoline, and my barber, God bless her, she doesn't watch MMA. She gives me a sick fade. Vicky, <laughs> you're the best. She texted me the next day to say my husband saw this clip going around, and it's someone edited it, and it was like had thousands of views on YouTube of <laughs> the whole thing. And I was like, well, <clears throat> mission accomplished. Yep, <laughs> that's my thing, you know. So I, if you have questions, it's like, guys, I know John Morgan makes it look very professional when he's out there. It's a PR event. It's not the place for hard-hitting journalism. It is a, oh my gosh. It's uh, anyway. It's like I'm about to say simile. I don't think that's the right word, but. It's supposed to look like it's a place for hard-hitting journalism. It's not. It's not. It's it's a show. Yes. So really, I, you know, you want to hear my hard-hitting journalism? I ask good stuff at Media Day. I ask other stuff on my one-on-ones. When I'm out there for the fans, it's like, well, we're here to have some fun. And I did. You did. <laughs> yeah. And Sean Strickland did until fight night. 
and then <laughs> bad strategy. He stood right in front of Alex Pereira and he paid for it. Um, but yeah, it set up your, you know, the conversation that he was having with you, to you, to everyone because of your question just set this whole thing up beautifully. And he became, you know, he was the center of attention in that moment. And then after he got knocked out, he became the third wheel, just completely out of the conversation. And now he perfectly set this, uh, you know, helped to 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 seal the deal for this uh, potential matchup between Adesanya and Pereira. So well done. Oh, Slow clap you. for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Hey, funny thing, I saw the, all the comments on it. I can't Sean Strickland's the best. More Sean Strickland. And I'm like, I feel like that doesn't happen without my question. So you're welcome, yeah. Sean. Anyway. Um no, nah, look, he, he's the one getting in the cage. Let's be yeah, real. Of course, of Let's course. have some fun, huh? Yeah. I want my credit every now and then, you know. <laughs> like uh, I didn't think it would work out that well when I pit when I threw the ball. It just, you know, I got lucky. Yeah. Anyway, um, going on. Uh, look, there was some other stuff. Brian Barberena. I thought Robbie didn't look too bad early. I thought it, you know, and then. Oh, man, I don't know if it's just the durability isn't there as much for Robbie. Obviously, he hadn't fought since last year with uh, Nick Diaz, but Brian catches him, gets him, solid finish. They get the bonus, I believe. Uh, Well-deserved. They kind of... It was another Robbie Lawler fight. You know, he knew he wasn't going to just back down, and he had a guy who was willing to dance with him, so... It was good. What about you? What were your thoughts? Oh yeah, it was it was it was a good first round because you know Barbarina looked good, but to me Robbie Lawler, man, that head movement—it's just so amazing. The, the head movement, the the defense with his hands up, up on his head, slipping punches, catching—I was so impressed. I was like, this is this is amazing. You know, I remember he did that a lot against Colby Covington, and I kept waiting for him to actually throw some offense, but he never really did against Colby. But with Barbarina, he was. He was landing some punches. They were hard. You, you know, you got the feeling that a few more and that was going to be it. But Barbarina has a great chin. He's young. He's hungry. And round two, I think it was round two, um, he just, you know, the volume, as they said in the commentary booth, the volume just caught up with Robbie Lawler. Like, even though they weren't the hardest shots, Barbarina was throwing high volume. And, and yeah, like I said, Lawler was defending very well but he's still getting feeling a little bit of the of the power there right he's still getting hit uh one too many and then Barbarina landed just the right combination and you know Lawler was was almost out on his feet it looked like just by the expression on his face so it was it was a tough one but man Robbie Lawler is just one of those fighters that even at this point in his career like if he were to fight everyone in the UFC and there were no rules and it was just who can last the longest and and who has no quit in them. Like he would blitz through everybody, you know, it's just in, in this uh, sanctioned world, he's, he's not, um, he's not doing so well, but you know, I think we'll see what he has to say after some reflection because yeah, there's how much value is there in getting beat like that a few more times. You know, I don't know if there's too much value in it for him. I mean, we'll talk about it. Uh, it kind of feels like he might be like another guy who we saw. But before we talk about Cowboy, Sean O'Malley, Pedro Munoz. Um, Pedro, it looks like he's trying to take, the, you know, the fight early to Sean. And then, you know, Sean O'Malley just 
I'll be honest. Every time I look at these guys, not I don't even think about the technique and the speed and the striking of Sean. I think the biggest thing that I always, I'll be honest, I forget it because I get caught up in the show. How big Sean is for bantamweight. Yeah. And that just kind of felt like the thing. Oh well, he's long and he's fast. And yep, yeah, he's just he, the size advantage he had on Pedro. Mm-hmm. And it felt like we saw it against Chris Moutinho. Uh, um, look, uh, he even had it a bit on Cheeto Vera, but it went differently. But it just felt like Pedro was struggling with that also. And um, Sean gets going. I think there was a low blow early on Sean from Pedro. Mm-hmm. But then we have the eye poke. And it just... Um, Look, uh, and, and that's a wrap. No contest happens before we hit the... Or, uh, yeah, they just call it no contest. Um, th- I guess, what were your thoughts? And then, obviously, the question floating around is, did Pedro Munoz, quote, look for an out? Well, it you know, look, you see a lot... There's just so many, like, a confluence of, of events or of moments that make it seem like he did. Um, when it comes to eye damage, like I, I don't, I take it seriously. And so I don't question, usually don't question fighters in my mind, you know, when they say, oh, my eye hurt, I can't see. Cause you see so many times when fighters just push through it. I mean, the last fight Cormier uh, had against Stipe, you know, at the end of the, of the fight, he's talking to the media and he's saying like, I can't see out of my eye. And like, you know, he could very well have just walked away and said, I can't see and it's over. But you know, you also have to think about your eye, man. Like you don't want to be blinded. So if you really can't see if it's really all black, how do you concentrate? How do you keep trying to be a killer? And I don't think whatever fight had happened between O'Malley and Munoz up until that point, if I'm Munoz, I'm not concerned. Like, oh man, this guy's beating the pants off of me. I better get out of here. Like it wasn't even close to being that. I thought Munoz was doing pretty well. He's turned a lot of leg kicks. O'Malley was checking them, but there was nothing that would lead me to believe that Munoz needed, felt he needed an excuse to get out of the fight. He says after the fact, uh, he has a scratch on his cornea. Like, that's a real injury. I don't blame him. I think the issue is that in the replay, it didn't really look like anything went into his eye. And you hear Herzog telling him, you know, take your time, take your time. You have more, you have five minutes. And the fact that he didn't take the full five minutes makes people question you know, the validity of the injury, but I don't, he couldn't see like, just you'll fight again another time. It sucks, but you got to preserve your eyes. One thing I will say is like, I'm going to say it's a bit of both. I think that, um, you know, do I believe he couldn't see it? I think that take the time. I don't doubt he was hurt, but I think also it was a bit of a, uh, assessment kind of like mm-hmm. we saw with uh robbie and nick and it's like look um getting pieced up a bit i'm hurt i probably am not going to be able to see well even if i can see in five minutes after this eye poke and it's just like look i mean i know it's hurt i don't expect it to get all the way better in the time i'm allotted and just like i think this is just you know let's uh call it for my own safety. I think mm-hmm. that that's what it came down to. I don't think it was that he, you know, could have healed up. I think he knew it's like, I don't think this is going to get as good as I need it. And I'm already down in a fight. Just, 
um that th- that's really what it came down to i i think i the eye was uh, honestly hurt i don't think he felt like it was gonna get better in the time he needed you know so and, and that's mm-hmm. just that so yeah like you talked about with dc yeah we've seen it but i i don't think that Pe- i think pedro was just like you know what i know i got a bad injury even if i continue this is not good and i think i'm already you know down in here so that's it Okay, but yeah, uh, um, look once again. I don't think that's a. I'll say you know even saying that that's not a knock on Pedro. I think that it's just like look, you know, you assessed it and you realized this is going to get worse, not better, and I'm already like down with one eye. Let's not push it. Yeah. Now, um, I've heard people say run it back with Pedro Munoz. I mean, if you do, that's your prerogative. I personally felt like I saw enough to say that I I. Uh, uh, why like are we saying it because we felt like i think part of that is sean o'malley's own fault we're talking like well are you getting paid yet sean or are you just going to keep talking trash about guys you don't plan to fight for for fights until you get a new contract Uh, the impression i've gotten o'malley said he signed a deal i think that this is it he is looking at the marabs and the aldos and the Corys and the blah 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 and I'm here for it, finally. If it's time, let's do it. And I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, oh, man. This is the part where the cowboy rides away into the sunset, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, look, Jim Miller, all-time leader in UFC wins. Been in the game so long. Love it. Congrats, Jim. I look at Cowboy and the most heartbreaking thing, you always felt like he's a guy, he'd be like Kobe and say, I love basketball so much, but my body just can't do it. Cowboy, you know, I just love it so much, but I just can't hang with these young guys and I got to call it a day. And he says to Joe Rogan, I just don't love it anymore, Joe. It's like, what you mean you don't love it anymore, Cowboy? <laughs> what you mean? You're you. Yeah, what you mean you don't that. love it anymore? It's you. <laughs> Oh, I mean, leave it at that. What toss it to you? Yeah, it was a surprise. I think I think partially a surprise because I thought he's, you know, I I felt like he was talking about trying to get to fifty, and I thought this was going to be forty nine. But maybe I just had my numbers wrong. Yep. And so, and in my mind, it was a surprise because I really thought he was going to try to get to that fifty, and trying to you know break as many records as he could. Uh, but when Bruce Buffer at the start of the fight announced whoever wins this fight will be the all-time leader, I was like, oh man. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and maybe that was maybe you guys already knew that, but I wasn't aware that that was the case with these two fighters. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, that's kind of pressure Cerrone doesn't need. You know, <laughs> he doesn't like that kind of pressure. But in any case, he was doing fine uh, in the actual fight. He was doing fine. It was really it was a it was a it was an accident. He, he did a high kick. He slipped. Miller capitalized brutally fast. You know, choked him out, really nice guillotine, and, and that was all she wrote. Um, it was a nice moment. You know, Cowboy wanted to win, of course, but I think he was, and he said it, not I think. He said to Megan Olivia after the fact, even though I lost, there's such a sigh of relief. I don't have to train anymore. I don't have to do this anymore. I can just go on to the next part of my life. So I'm happy for him. It was sad to see him, you know, put the hat down, the gloves and the hat, but I liked the respect Jim Miller showed. And Joe Rogan went with it. You know, let's interview Cowboy first. Let him say his piece. So it was a beautiful moment. Um, I didn't expect it, but it was a beautiful moment. And and I'm glad that even though he lost, it wasn't a, a beatdown. 
Uh, and it, it finished early enough that, you know, he didn't take much damage. Okay, you got submitted, but you can go celebrate in relatively good health. So it is what it is. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, look, at the second you're thinking, of the, when you start talking like that, and when he admitted, like, around the Conor McGregor fight, I was training and I was just going through the motions mm-hmm. for a fight where really he was the center of the MMA world with Conor. Yeah. I think that said a lot. And, you know, is he the same guy he was when he was fighting every two months? And, you know, now he's married with two kids. He's gonna, He has another one on the way for three. Um, you know, I'm assuming it's hard. Look, uh, he's been in the game a lot. He's got a lot of miles. Does he recover and all that in the fights, in training the same? Probably not. And that can make it hard for anybody to still love it and get after it the same way right that's not it's understandable but man it was a little heartbreaking to hear a guy like cowboy say he doesn't love it anymore yeah i just keep yeah. going back to that i heard that i know it was a surprise the way he said what, it yeah, what, like, what you mean you don't love it anymore cowboy um, would you, we still love you say it ain't so <laughs> you know um yeah it was just um yeah it was one of those I think the only thing I could say is that they don't make him like Cowboy. And he addressed it. He said, there's not that many fighters, fighters. There's a lot of athletes becoming fighters nowadays with all the money and the exposure. And it's just a different ball game than it was mm-hmm. 10 years ago, even I'd say five to six years ago. So he kind of has always been that guy. He reminds you why you love it. Like, it's just for the love of the game, and sometimes I think that hurt him because it's like, well, you know, you heard the story about he didn't ask for that, you know, he didn't get the cut of the pay-per-view for the Connor fight is the rumor, and, oh. you know, he got just the short end of the deal, but he took it because it's Cowboy and all this and that, or, you know, tried to get the fight, and it's like, you know, it, did that make him great? to have and negotiate with i'm sure for the ufc yeah but it's like anymore you know with the business side of things and the management there's just less of those guys who are honestly i'll fight anybody even if i'm on a roll like just because i want it you know and so i will miss that i think that he they just don't make as many guys like that in the game anymore and so i think that that's what i'll miss on top of the fact that just like dude he he was fun to watch. He had a great style. He had a just he had that attitude and he he was very genuine about it. So, Cowboy, thank you for the ride. Well said. Yep. Um uh, look, I mean obviously undercard is what it is. Jessica I retires, Macy Barber wins, Andre Muniz, Drakus Duplessis, Julia Stolyarenko. Uh, I mean, that was a little dirty. Like, I know it's in the moment and all this, but to keep the armbar going on Jesse Jess and after the tap was just... I didn't, I know we're here for the violence, but I still didn't feel good about it. You know what I mean? So it was one of those nights. Um, do you have anything more to add before we move on to a couple updates around, the, around town? Oh, let me think. Uh, no, that's it. I think we covered it. Oh, uh, yeah. It was quite the show. Um... Talking about it now, um, PFL. So the regular season is over. 
We talked about uh, Caitlin Young, 12 and 12. Kayla Harrison gets her out of there in half a round. Um, not really a surprise there. Nope. I think the biggest one, Ray Cooper misses. Defending champion, even with a win, Ray Cooper's out of the playoffs, I believe. And yeah. now uh, also Clay Collard that they built up. What happened to Clay Collard? I missed that story. He, he, you know what? Just on points. He lost uh. the fight and he didn't have the points. That's bananas. And He's yes, so good. And so that was, the, and also the guy who beat Ray, Carlos Leal, he didn't fight, but essentially he got like a walkover, and he just walks into the playoffs, despite the fact that Ray Cooper's the one who fought twice. Yes, Ray Cooper missed by like five pounds about a month and a half ago, but yeah, you know, it, it was just like, you know, I I couldn't help but feel a certain way about. Everything, it's just, and we, we we touched on it. You want, they want more fights, like you want to get fresh matchups, but it felt like the PFL somehow found a way to shoot itself in the foot. <laughs> like, so you're, t- I mean, they're obviously going to still run and fight Ray and uh, Clay, but like you have two of your top guys outside it, you could argue the top two fighters out of Kayla Harrison, and somehow they're out of the tournament. Uh, you and have a, Rory McDonald is he out too? No, Rory is still in. He lost oh. his fight, but he advances. Oh, Anthony Pettis. Book six, yeah. Yeah, Anthony Pettis advances. Oh, um, he's immediate rematching Stevie Ray, and we talked to him yesterday. Uh, he hurt the cartilage in his rib, but he's he's expecting to be good to go. Okay. Um, but you know it. Okay, Clarissa Shields has got some big fights going. I don't know if we'll see her in MMA this year. If we do, maybe at the finale. But that's you know. And I, I'm gonna just leave it at that. Um, Natalie, has what's going on with PFL? Because I don't know if I have words for just how this strategy is working out for them this year. Yeah, that's the the tricky part about. I don't know what the actual size of their roster is, but you know, the, the tournament style is fun and new and different, you know, for the current era of MMA that we're in. Um, but it, it creates problems when it's an organization that has very few names at the top that are recognizable, you know, and recognizable for the PFL, but in the greater picture of MMA, not very high on the totem pole, except Kayla Harrison. You know, she gets the one, she's the one that gets discussed the most. A little bit for Clay Collard. He got a little pop because of how he, you know, previously beat Anthony Pettis, but that's kind of it, right? So when those, when a, when a good portion of the only few fighters in PFL that have made it, risen to the top and made a small name for themselves can't compete, it makes it a little tricky, right? And so, yeah, this this tournament style with the point system is fun, and it, it it seems like it's a great idea on paper. But then when you have weird results like Cooper doesn't go through, but the guy who fought him, who beat him, and only fought once goes through, it's just like there shouldn't be this many questions, <laughs> you know, for a tournament. But then you look on the flip side of how traditional MMA is run these days with the matchmakers and. You know, they're kind of doing the same thing, but without a tournament. They're just, you know, they have their rule set and whatever internal decisions are made, 
based on a policy that they have or a feeling that they have, you know, we just have to deal with it too. So the bigger issue for PFL is that they still just don't have enough um, exciting fighters to get us to tune in no matter how they end up in the, in the tournament process. So, um, but then real quick, specifically for Kayla Harrison, you know, defeating Caitlin Young with the 12 and 12 record, it's like, okay, well, thank goodness she did it fast and thank goodness she won period and that she did it fast. But the Julia Budd thing falling through, it's just, it's hard. By the way, it's does that now do. mean Julia's out of the playoffs too? So we may not see Kayla and Julia this year? I actually don't even know. And so that's, that's another question where it's like, if it was the UFC, maybe I would go out of my way to dig in and find out a little more about how this system works. But there's only so much, you know, bandwidth. <laughs> and so um, I'm more likely just going to wait to see until they tell me in a, in a news article, you know, if if Julia Blood's in it or not. Yeah, I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. She's got to be an alternate if she's still available. But, you know... It kind of, we talked about it, those are the two things, it just, how do they get heat, and you know, it's like, do we want to see Harrison Pacheco a third time, and it's like, uh, I don't know, I want to say that answer out loud, because I, you know it, I don't want to disrespect anybody, um, I think though, like, it, it just feels like they are struggling to work with the pieces they have, like to mm -hmm. keep it fresh. And I think that comes down to, you know, I don't know if they're hoping they can make some happen with the pay-per-view model. I don't know if they have deeper pockets than any of us know, but I will say that this season has really felt just like underachieving with everything going on. It started strong, especially when Rory and uh, Pettis, Pettis and Caleb yeah. won, and it's like, okay, we're on a roll, you know, but now it's like, you know, you got, it feels like the people they invested in got the short end of the stick somehow. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, part of that is the judges, you know, the judges didn't give Clay Collard the win. Okay. And Ray Cooper's the one who missed Wade. And by the rules, mm -hmm. he doesn't get points. And it's like, it just, but then it's like the alternate situation. It's so, not all of it is PFL's fault, but I will also address the thing. They're pacing. Oh, God. It is. I don't know how you haven't figured it out yet, guys. Honestly, just, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just they're afraid to just cut like a half hour, an hour off the beginning of the broadcast and just commit to running them faster. But they just don't. And it is very painful. And it makes it so you don't get invested in the rest of the roster because you're not watching it live. You're just yep. going back to watch the ones you want on ESPN Plus later. Exactly. Oh and you God. have to fast forward forever. Now, yes. the thing is, I think they spend too much time with these, uh, what do you call it, the shoulder or inner, I can't remember the word, but like the high, the story reels in between the fights. Yes. Way too much time on those. And it's like, guys, I know you're trying to educate us on who the fighters are and Not everyone you know, tell needs us their it. sad story, but let them just fight better. Let's let them fight, and let, and then we can see who they are in the cage, and then we'll learn more about them later. But trying to do it on the up uh, up front, it's just it's it's a it's a mm, it's not a wise decision that they made there. It's it's bad programming. You know what and, I just realized? Huh? Remember how we're like, well, PFL doesn't sell a million tickets. How do they make all this money? Yeah. A lot of commercials. 
Yeah. You can't. You gotta run a lot of commercials if you're not making a ton of money. Yeah. <laughs> maybe True. that's it, and maybe they just don't like to say it out loud. But okay, maybe that's it. But it's just so many, and it's like on it's on ESPN. It's the same ones, right? The same yep. commercials over and over again. And then sometimes you get that awesome commercial break where there's not even a commercial. It's just and you just uh, get to we'll stare do... at Tom Brady's face, the man in the arena. <laughs> <you know? laughs> this is true. It's like, okay. Um, um, so, I got you, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it is what it is, right? But thank God bless fast forward if you're not watching live. The other question I have for you about PFL is sure. you can never really see the crowd. It's like lit, you know, very strategically. Do you know, do you have any sense of how big these crowds are? Because it, it almost feels apex size as far as uh, attendance, but I, I can't tell because they don't really pan out. It is a little better than apex. It is not all entirely, um, uh, put it this way, I, I think that the, uh, the fans are aware they are not watching the other show, the mm -hmm. UFC. And I think that leads to it. It's I put it this way: I don't know that there are necessarily diehard PFL fans. Okay. And so, if you're there to watch a Rory or a Pettis or a Kayla, that that's one thing. But I think that it's sometimes hard. It feels like a regional show when you're not necessarily familiar with everybody. So you're just kind of there. If it goes off, it goes off. If it doesn't, right. you just feel chill. And yes, there's the fact that there's not all entirely as many people for these shows. So, okay. I, want, I want to speed through. Um, Valerie Lareda, Bellator's social media star, is now a WWE superstar. <laughs> um, she's signed a contract. She's going to go through the developmental program. I, I know they work a bit still with NXT, even though NXT is now its own thing on TV and it's on par not uh, raw and smackdown are still the big ones i understand like mondays and then they have the friday one yeah but you know nxt is also now they've invested more money in it so you have more of the main people actually going to nxt to pump yeah, it up yeah it's very popular huh yes yeah. and now valerie laredo is a part of that she bellator said when she's ready and she's like i'm done with mma almost <laughs> like i don't know what they're talking about but i'm yeah. not going back um uh, okay, I I know what the main thing, the main shot everyone takes at Valley Laredo. If you cared more about training and fighting than you did about the, the gram, you'd probably be a better fighter. And it's like, okay, um, you know what? Who? Okay, look at you had a, a who are the top two flyweights that Bellator's ever had? Alima and Juliana. Yeah. yeah. At five fights, was Alima making WWE money? Heck no. no. Heck Juliana, no. arguably the best flyweight in Bellator. Which, at five fights in, was she making money? Was she even in Bellator? No. And you're telling me this 23, 24-year-old girl just signed this big deal? She's already got a million followers. You know the WWE... She enters the WWE brand as a big brand herself. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the money's she's about to laugh her way to the bank. Now, yeah. look, had she stuck with it, would she have reached, you know, would she have gotten as good as a Valentine or someone like that? One, a lot of people who train and don't care about the gram don't get as good as Valentina. But, mm -hmm. you know, maybe would she become, quote, good to great with uh, more time in the game? Maybe, maybe not, but... 
what is the number one thing I tell you? Get the, that bag. Yeah, secure the bag. Is it winning the fight? No, secure the bag. If you secure the bag, then you focus on winning the fight. But secure the bag if you have the opportunity. She has secured the bag. And you know what? Um, I got to say, like, she secured this bag being a Bellator fighter. <laughs> I know. And I don't know Good how else to you. say this. Bellator, WWE is going to feel like landing on planet Earth after you've been on Mars. Like <laughs> Mars, perfectly good, respectable planet. It ain't Earth. And you know what? I, I just, this is a win. What are your thoughts? Oh, yeah, I'm with you. It's a win. You know, it's actually a win for Bellator, too, because now they can say, oh, I don't know if they would actually go around promoting it. But, like, look, WWE is all about, you know, collaboration and stuff. Like, they can do some crossover with Bellator people now if they wanted to, if, they, if they're smart about it. So I think it's a good deal for Bellator, but, I mean, a mega good deal for Laredo. Now, is being a professional wrestler hard work? Heck, yeah, man. If you even watch one, one event, Think about how hard it would be to go flying off the top ring and landing on that. It ain't a pad, I'll tell you what, on that uh, mat or whatever the heck they call it, uh, the canvas in the in the ring there. Yeah, it's hard. You're pretending to hit people, but you're still getting thrown around. You're still jumping off of things, jumping out of the ring. You're still getting hit in the back with the steel chair, even though it's not as hard as it looks. It's still hitting you. I don't know if you ever saw Ronda Rousey getting beat up with a like a bamboo stick for 10 minutes by uh, Charlotte Flair. She got bruised. She got beat up. Like, it's no walk in the park. You're working for your money, and it's hard training. It's like unlike the most anything probably any fighter has ever done. So you have to learn a new way to move your body. You have to learn to be an actor. You have to be able to you know, do your promos. It's a lot. And WWE don't mess around. You know, you have to go on the road like pretty much every day of the year. So she's securing that bag, but she's also going to work for it. So I'm bringing that up because I don't want people to think that like, oh, she's just taking the easy way out. No, she's not. She's going to be busting her butt and and making money. So this is a good move for her. Uh, Yeah. So to me, the biggest thing is that while we know her for her dancing, she's never been one to take the mic and own it. I think that's going to be the biggest uh, question mark into Mm -hmm. it. I would say this, you know, how many athletes, like let's say the college level, for example, look, a small percentage of people who, for example, play in March Madness ever go on to the NBA. Right. But they train hard and they do all the trainings and all that, but their ability to make money isn't really dependent on their athletic ability anymore. She's one of those people now, all of the work she's done, she's still, it leads to her making money. Her athleticism, the Mm -hmm. work she's put in, in the gym, uh, specifically to be a fighter, because I think that's a great base to get into as opposed to, I mean, maybe, I mean, those gymnasts do really well and all that, right? Like the American Ninja Warrior guys, the CrossFit because you're used to putting your body through that, I think that the fact that she has that now, she makes the jump. I will say, I don't know what the over-under is. I will put money. And I, sometimes it's just, it's time to leave home. You've outgrown things. If she appears at a Bellator event again, I would be shocked. 
just because I feel like, you know what? Dub, like I said, WWE, even though it's in Florida also and all that, you know, we're American top team, I would just be shocked. I'll say that. Uh, yeah, I would be very surprised because there's no value in it for her if she's not planning to fight for Bellator. And then, you know, she was not even such a star at Bellator that, like, you know, Bellator fans would be, oh, my God, she's she's back. I think, you know, it's just kind of like this was one part of her life and now she's moving on to the next and, and that's it. She's not going to be looking back. Yep. Anyway, look, I... I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure we'll find out when it's our first time on TV and we could dissect it. <sighs> but this Friday, sorry, this Saturday, we're back for one last fight. Natalie, it's uh, UFC Vegas 58 before they hit the road again. Um, the battle of the Rafaels is upon us. Rafael Dos Anjos, Rafael, Rafael Faziv. I always forget the Brazilians pronounce that R with an H. They like, do. They like Hoist Gracie. So Rafael Dos Anjos versus Rafael Vaziv. Um, you know what? Um, I'm going with Rafael. I think Rafael's going to win this one. I think Rafael's going to have a great performance. Um, no, but in all honesty, you have a guy who's obviously so good in so many different areas in RDA. Vaziv, his striking, his speed, his shot selection really is his bread and butter. He's well-rounded also, but let's be honest, you know, RDA, he's so good when he's on top of you on the mat. Mm-hmm. And then you factor in how good he became at his striking. Whereas Fazeev is kind of the opposite. I feel like he's naturally that guy on the feet. But the grappling is, you know, not RDA levels, but he's certainly no slouch either. And it makes for a very interesting fight. I think both of them are well prepared. They've been booked together before, so they kind of get to revisit the notes. I think it's going to be a decent fight i think that it's going to be pretty good for your investment when you tune in what about you it will i think it will be a great fight uh yeah let's say decent oh let's say good i'll meet you in the middle <laughs> i'll go in the middle from a decent uh great to good right in the middle it'll be a good fight uh Fazeev, man i love the way he fights those kicks that come from nowhere just the hip just flings the foot right up into the body or the head I think he's so exciting the way he, I rewatched that Moicano fight. I mean, the way he just kicked the heck out of him and then body shot, hook, knocked him out. He's such a, such a, such a cool striker. RDA is very reliable and his, you know, his game plan, which is, yeah, he'll try to strike with you, but, and he can do it, but he's going to push you against the cage, try to take you down and then, you know, work that for as long as he can. I think Fazeev has enough, just, you know, technique to be able to stave off some of the takedown efforts. Um, I mean, you look at his physique and he's got these huge thighs. So he's got, you know, I'm going to go ahead and give him a little more credit for some takedown defense than I know he has just based on how he's built. I'm really hoping, though, that Fazeev gets to gets to do showcase more of his striking before uh, RDA starts going in for the, the clinch takedown. And I think, man, just Fazeev kicks so hard and he punches so hard. RDA is one of those aliens, you know, that's just around longer than you figured he should be and still looking great longer than you figured he should be. But I think Fazeev's going to have the night. 
uh, where he where he you know defeats a gatekeeper, a veteran, and gets uh, into the next con- the conversation for the next level. I think he's going to be able to hurt RDA uh, round three TKO. You know, I, I like that. I, I think it's just his um he he's kind of just in that zone right now, and I think he's got a style that really has problems. Um, you can't count a guy like RDA out. I think that, uh, he is the only fighter to break the Paul the curse of the Irish Dragon. Everyone who beat yeah. Paul Felder lost their immediate next fight. He broke the curse. Um, that being said, you're talking about a just. I think one of those guys that people have had their eye on for a while as to be a contender in Fiziv. And I think that he just stylistically matches up really well with RDA. And I think that just that, I think the speed is going to get him. And I think he's just very ready to grapple. He's very ready to sprawl and brawl and everything you need to do. If RDA starts trying to clinch him and try to work his way down like Charles Oliveira does. So... Uh I just think Fazi's speed right there, like you said, his arsenal is just well equipped to handle a guy like RDA if he's on. And I think it'll be I think he's got it. Alright. So we're in accordance. I'll go with you. I, I like that third round call. Okay. Not too long, not too quick. Just a good fight to test both men. Um and Natalie, next week the UFC returns to New York, Long Island, Featherweight Battle, Yair Rodriguez, Brian Ortega. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, it's a killer matchup. You know, both guys are, are game to go to war. And so when you know that going into a fight, it's easy to get excited for it. Sometimes you think, oh, well, you know, these guys are going to have a barn burner. It, it's On paper they should, but I don't know if they will. Yeah, this is kind of a guarantee. You know, neither of these guys is going to be trying to sit on the other, hold them up against the cage. They're just going to be there to strike. And, uh, you know, Brian Ortega, even though he has that killer submission game, he's always trying to strike. He only goes to submissions when the striking doesn't work out for him. So it's going to be exciting for sure. Yeah, I I just like the matchup. I think they have an interesting arsenal to bring at each other. So I think it makes for a fun fight. I I just don't see it being boring any way we slice it. So I like it in that way. But yeah, we who wins, how, why, where, we'll get into all of that next week, guys. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care and have a great holiday.